0: in the litany of invitation and confession. The invitation of a faithful community bids us to give thanks.
1: We are grateful
2: for the gifts of faith and community given by God.
0: The call to be a covenant people beckons us.
2: We delight in God's invitation
3: to relationship, and we pray for tenacity in our faith.
0: The way of the cross summons us to deny ourselves and follow Christ.
1: We are fearful when it comes to the cross. We are glad for Jesus to bear his cross, as we
2: often do not want to bear our own.
0: On this second Sunday in Lent, we pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are, in our reluctance and in our ambivalence. Let us give thanks for God's redemptive love. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God.
1: Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this second Sunday in the season of Lent. It's good to be together as God's people, especially during this time and holy season. Especially do we welcome those of you who are guests with us today. We're glad that you share this time of worship. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you'd take a moment to complete that. Drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect uh, name and face with you. And also, if there are any of you who have a prayer request, place that on the card, drop it in the plate. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you every week by name and by need. So, uh, welcome. Some of you might be here to hear Andrea play the, the flute today. Uh, I guess months ago now, we were looking for a director of children's ministries who also was a flautist. <laughs> we, we had many flautists apply, but only, only Andrea fulfilled both of those qualities. And so as one of our instrumentalists who will be uh, giving the gift of music uh, this, this season, uh, Andrea will be giving that. So thank you for sharing the many gifts you have. Whatever brings you here today, and whatever you have brought to uh, worship, uh, God receives and God holds. If you've brought your pain, God can hold that. If you brought your joy, God can hold that. If you brought your longing and your love, God can hold that. God can hold your needs. But also we're here today to be present with God's needs. Because we believe that God is still on the mission of creating and bringing this world to God's own self. Part of what we talk about today are the tears that come. The tears that God, I think, shed over this past year when a gunman walked into Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. Or to the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania or to the Christchurch Mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. That as Daniel preaches on this text today of Jesus being the mother hen, gathering the chicks, uh, wanting to gather the chicks under her wings, uh, the bullets of gunmen fire through the mother hen's wings. So God shares in our sorrow and our weeping. The front cover of the Order of Service is a picture of Jesus as Mother Hen. Uh, Some of us, like Ken Brant and I, and maybe others of you who've gone to the Holy Land, have been to the Dominus Flavit Chapel that's there on the rim of the Mount of Olives, that you can look at the altar, look past the altar, and then there is the city of Jerusalem. But on the altar is this mosaic of Jesus as Mother Hen Weeping over and bringing, uh, bringing what belongs to God together. So we bring all of these needs into the presence of the sanctuary that will hold us in the presence of God who loves us. Welcome.
0: God promises Abram an heir. A reading from the book of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And then God said to him, And so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And then God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought God all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers together. Oh God, we come to you this morning admitting that this is a strange time of year. We find ourselves lingering in the seemingly opposing seasons of spring and Lent. On the one hand, we feel the joy of spring's impending arrival, and on the other, we feel the heaviness of Lent's dark journey. We eagerly anticipate the possibilities of new life because of the few brave buds that have ventured on the tree limbs, and the daffodils that have pushed their way up through the thawing ground. And then we see the shadow of the cross that looms large before us, calling us to the hard tasks of reflection, confession, and repentance. So, O God, we ask that during these days, you gather us in your arms and give us wisdom and sensitivity to make sense of the mixed messages that we see and hear. Give us the wisdom to not only enjoy your springtime creation, but to also respect it. Our planet is fragile, and we must ask how long we can simply take what we want with little regard for what it costs your creation. Could it be that the planet is crying out for relief in the floods that are really tears? Or in the earthquakes that try and shake our consciousness? or in the gales of wind that blow sighs too deep for words. Renew and restore in us a vision of care for your creation, O God. Remind us to take what we need and no more. Encourage us in a countercultural faithfulness that is not guided by consumerism. And help us to live mindfully each day of the impact that we have on your world. And God, give us the wisdom to take seriously the heaviness of the Lenten journey. But may it not paralyze us to inactivity. Instead, may we be drawn to the rhythm of Lent as as it unfolds around us. May Lent offer us an invitation to explore the corners of our soul. May it be a season that offers us the time to see ourselves more clearly with all our faults and faith. And may it offer us the gifts of growth and change so that when we come to the end of our Lenten journey, we will know that resurrection is not only a possibility, but a reality. So God, in these seasons of Lent and springtime, give us the wisdom to choose life. Life in all the many ways that it is revealed to us. And now hear us, O God, as we join our voices together to pray the prayer our Lord and Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
4: An invitation to stand strong with faith in Christ. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters... Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example that you have in us. For many live lives as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have told you of them, and now I'll tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that may be conformed to the body of his glory and by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in his way, my beloved. Here ends the second lesson.
1: Boys and girls, come on forward for a time with the children. Wasn't that super? What, Miss Andrea just could do in playing the flute? How many of you play a flute? You can play a flute. Are you as as good as Miss Andrea is playing? You're not. Well, if you'll just practice for the rest of your life, you'll get that good. You too, Jolene. Well, I'm glad you're here. I wanted to show you what I brought in my special box. I've had this for a long time, since I was about your age, uh, uh, Levon. And in this box, I keep some of my super stuff. Now, how many of you are in the superheroes, like Thor and Iron Man? You are, Levon? And when I was your age, Bo, I was collecting comic books Yeah, like Batman, Superman, and uh, the Incredible Hulk, and all those. And so, when I was a little kid, I asked my grandmother, who could sew things, if she could make me some superhero costumes. We couldn't buy it in the stores when I was your age. Uh, And so she had to make me one, and so she made me a Superman suit out of a T-shirt, put a big red S on the front, that's a picture of me when I'm about your age. And you see that my cape is made of a dish towel. (laughs) And you see that the bottom corner of the dish towel is torn. That's my Superman cape. Now, wouldn't it be something, Levon, if I actually happened to have that very Superman cape? when I was your age and you'll see there is a torn corner up here down there and that is another special thing so there is a superman cape and I said to her well you know I like Batman a lot too what do you think this might be it is Batman can you ever can you believe I was ever that little But that was part of my Batman costume. Well, I like superheroes. And sometimes we might kind of talk about Jesus like Jesus was a superhero. I have a Batman robot. You have a Batman robot. That's good. When we talk about Jesus, some people think like he's a superhero. I don't think of Jesus like that. I think of Jesus having a super love for God and a super love for people. Now, when you have a super love for God and a super love for people, you're going to do kind things for everybody you meet, aren't you? You're going to give them super hugs to show them you loved them. You're going to give them super help to help them out. You're going to give super good, good words of kindness to people. I think that you could go out, Joseph, and be a superman kind of guy being loving and kind to people. I think you could be a super girl or super woman, someone who is loving people like God and Jesus love people, giving them hugs, giving them help, and helping people that are hurting. Okay? After church, if you want to see my Batman and Superman stuff, I'll show it to you, okay? But let's pray right now. God, thank you for loving us in a super way. May we love you the same way, and love everybody else. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel lesson. Jesus compares himself to a mother hen, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And so Jesus said to him, Go and tell that fox for me, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and then on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord.
3: It was around a year ago that our neighborhood Facebook page lit up with posts and pictures about a rogue fox that was on the loose. Now, if you're not familiar with this phenomenon, a neighborhood Facebook page is the place you go to publicly shame your neighbor (laughs) for various transgressions, both real and imagined, But occasionally, it is also a place to worry about foxes. And and you'd think there was an axe murderer on the loose. I mean, every day there'd be a, a grainy photograph taken by somebody who had zoomed in with their iPhone from the comfort of their breakfast nook, and there'd be a lean, hungry fox crouching on a wall or in a flower bed. It was rumored the fox had taken a kitten. Animal control was called fox was still on the loose, and we have two little miniature dachshunds, and, and I, I didn't want to know what it would look like if they tangled with the fox. One morning, the kids and I are standing at the bus stop, and the sun had just started to peek out through the clouds. And I saw that fox running across the road in front of us. I turned to the kids, there's that fox, I said, and I gathered them in close to me. That fox ran up under the neighbor's home where it was discovered later that week it had built its gruesome den. And the fox had somehow unleashed this protective ferocity in the neighborhood. I mean, we couldn't agree on much. The HOA regs couldn't agree on how to police people for picking up after their dogs. We could agree that the fox had to die. And that is a very human instinct, to want to kill in order to protect. And yet, at the very center of the gospel is a value which runs counter to our instincts, and and it is that God is willing to die in order to save. God desires to gather us up, not kill our enemies. And in the gospel that you just heard read, Jesus is confronted with a death threat from a fox named Herod Antipas. What are the words, you know, that we use to describe a fox? Cunning, sly, devious, lethal. And Herod and the whole Herodian dynasty had all these attributes in great supply. They were running a regular fox farm back then. I mean, Herod had learned how to be a fox from his daddy, Herod the Great, who had tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby. Herod was a genocidal maniac. He, he issued an order that all the children two and under in and around Bethlehem had to be killed. So Herod Jr. was just trying to finish what his dad had started, killing Jesus. It turns out the apple didn't fall far from the tree Herod was just as narcissistic and power-hungry as his dad, and he, too, wanted to eliminate any threat to his power. Maybe that's what a fox is evolutionarily designed to do. He had already shown a propensity for murderous violence when he crossed paths with another prophet, John the Baptist. You know, John got in a big heap of trouble. He did what prophets sometimes do. He critiqued royal power. Herod had married his brother's wife, and John let him have it for that, along with a lot of other evil things that Herod had done. John stuck his neck out so far that he lost his head. Jesus knew that by the time the Pharisees showed up to deliver the threat they delivered in the gospel text, he knew that about Herod. He knew the entirely frivolous basis for John's murder. He knew all the evil he he had done. So it couldn't have been a surprise that Herod wanted to kill him. He was, after all, a fox. And a fox may, like Herod the Great did, go on a genocidal rage, kill every hen in the hen house. Or it may, like Herod Jr., kill off each hen one by one, creating an atmosphere of terror and unpredictability. Either way, the fox is going to do what the fox does best, deceive, destroy, and dehumanize. And, you know, Jesus could have responded in the same way, in a like manner. He could have unleashed a great storm of angels on Herod's head, wiped him clean off the mat, but he didn't. Instead, he said, go and tell that fox for me that I am casting out demons and performing cures. Jesus was doing God's will, and wherever God's will is done, demons are cast out, people are cured, and good news is announced. Jesus wasn't about to let the power of the state derail him from his mission. In fact, the state and its enablers had created conditions that gave rise to demonic situations. The people were still recovering from the psychic trauma of Herod the Great's genocidal decree and Roman oppression and failed uprisings. But underneath all that institutional evil lay a deeper truth that, that human beings were caught up in systems of oppression and great evil from which they needed deliverance. And Jesus had much work to do. And, and it seemed like it took folks a long time to, to get this. I mean, even John the Baptist was confused. You know the story of how he sent followers to Jesus while he was in jail, and they asked him, "'Are you the one?' Or should we wait for another? And Jesus told John's disciples basically what he told the Pharisees here. Go and tell John the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now that is healing power. That is good news. And you would think that the children of God, once they heard that news, desired to be gathered. But they weren't willing. And that was the tragedy that Jesus lamented in the gospel. Why in the world were they not willing to be gathered? Uh, Perhaps they didn't believe yet in a God who was capable of gathering. The many years of Roman oppression and failed insurrection and violent uprising— had taught them that siding with the fox was smarter than siding with a God who, it seemed, just didn't deliver. Or perhaps they had been gathered by other influences that had so deeply formed them that they didn't realize they had drifted. In that sense, they, they may be no different than us here in the 21st century. I mean, we are, we are formed six days a week by Internet culture Cable news and consumerism, and we gather for an hour to hear a counter-narrative. Uh, we have allowed ourselves to be gathered into the arms of an ideology that seeks to exploit us, not sustain us. On Friday, as you heard in the gathering, as you read the news this week, we woke up to the horrifying news that another white supremacist had attacked, again, and this time, Muslim houses of worship. In New Zealand. And from the reporting, it appears that the shooter had been steeped in the racist ideology that is out there on the web. And more and more people are being gathered by hateful and dehumanizing rhetoric. They may not even re- realize that there is an alternative gathering that can bring true peace. And then I think it is against that force of destruction that Jesus seeks to sustain us. And it is why he used this powerful feminine metaphor of a mother hen who wants to gather her children. A mother hen has a ferocious, tenacious love for her children. But so many are willing not to be gathered. This hen metaphor, it made me think of the way we talk about parents whose children have graduated from high school and moved out. You know the phrase, empty nester? Parents get, what, 18 years to gather their children under their wings, and then they flee the nest? And and each generation of parents, they deal with empty nests in different ways. Uh, We've all become familiar with an increasingly common way of coping with the empty nest. It's called the helicopter parent. That term actually originated in the 60s, but we're, we're just now beginning to see it. The helicopter parent is the one who hovers over their child like a helicopter, micromanaging every decision. Take little David. He's a freshman in college. He's widely thought of as a high achiever, and yet David got a B-plus on his essay in English class. And pretty soon the helicopter takes off and hovers, and the professor gets a phone call. David is not a B student. He is an A student. Change that grade. You all heard the news last week that there was this big college admissions scandal and bribery. Wealthy parents were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to coaches to pretend that their children were star water polo or soccer players when they, in fact, were not. And perhaps this is just the end result or one logical result of helicopter parenting because there is this great fear in at least a privileged segment of our society that our children cannot make it without us. My parents were of a different generation. I, mean, I remember receiving a failing grade in Algebra 2, 64, 64. One point from passing, teacher called my mother and said, little Daniel made a 64. It's one point from passing. What would you like me to do? Now, let's have a sidebar. Nobody should have that kind of power. Mother said, don't change the grade. So I repeated Algebra 2. She wanted me to know what it was like to experience failure. And to learn perhaps to work harder the next time around. And later in life, I looked back on that, I came to realize that her motivation was as a mother seeking to push the baby out of the nest. Her hovering wings could not cover me forever. But you see, the gathering that God offers, it transcends all these examples, it transcends the very metaphor of parenting. God doesn't offer micromanagement or excessive anxiety and decision-making or even the kind of tough love, in my example. But rather, God is present to heal, sustain, and to save. And that comes with this great and terrifying freedom. So to be gathered by God is not about being micromanaged or controlled. God doesn't promise us that we'll never experience failure or pain. God promises that He will be with us. God's wings offer steady presence steady, eternal, divine presence. And the more we drift from God's presence, the more we begin to identify with the ideology of the fox. What is that? that? That we can solve our problems through putting faith in institutions and personalities. And the more our plans and ambitions and pride take center stage, the less God's will becomes something we seek. But while we drift, God is at work, bringing healing, proclaiming good news to the poor. And so to be gathered is to be invited to be proclaimers of that work, and to be laborers in that mission. And I think the more oriented we are to God's presence, the more we'll see God at work in our community, in our work, and in our lives. So I want to challenge you this week, if you're experiencing difficulty in wanting to be gathered, or even how to be gathered, to spend some intentional time in conscious contact with God. Examine those things in your life that have made you resistant to turning your will over to God. Be honest with yourself about resistance that you have to be gathered. And pray for grace that God will shelter you under her wings. Because there's a lot of gathering left to do And the good news is that God is still gathering her children under her wings. And so if you are willing to be gathered by God, there is plenty of room left. The invitation is open to each of you. And the gathering can start today. Amen? Amen.
1: It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given, where we take a look at our lives and we respond to God's grace even as God has given us grace. Today would be a good day to be gathered in and to admit that we're all a lot like first graders and we need our first grade teacher to remind us to hold hands when we cross the street and give one another a hug when we're hurting. God gathers us today. We sing a song that uh, reminds us of God's gathering place, the cross. Let's stand together and sing.
3: This time I'd like Corey to come up and join me for a moment. I want to introduce you to someone many of you have met, and Corey just come stand next to me here. This is Corey Allen, and she has come forward today seeking to join our our church through confession of faith and baptism, right? Right. Let me tell you a little bit about Corey. Corey is originally from Kansas and then lived in Boston for some years until she moved to this area. And you grew up in the Unitarian tradition, is that right? Yeah. And you were never baptized, and we spoke this week about your fervent desire to be baptized. And um, we're so delighted uh, that you've come forward. I wanted to introduce you to this great congregation. In a little bit, you'll have an opportunity um, to stand with Beth Laxton, who is our chair of deacons in the narthex, and greet everyone as they leave today. Okay? Okay. Um, we have a tradition in our church that when uh, persons come forward uh, for membership um, that we welcome them by raising our hand. So if you welcome, Corey, raise your hand now. And we also have a tradition that will read this reception of persons for membership that's in your order of worship, just below the concerns. Let's read it together. Corey, as members of Northside Drive Baptist Church, we welcome you as you join us in this adventure of faith and faithful community. We offer you our love, our history, and our hope. We value your story of faith and invite you to serve with us as stewards of God's grace. Welcome, and we'll have you sit down until the end when we will greet you in the narthex. I want to bring a few announcements to you this morning about things that are coming up this week and other uh, concerns that we have in the church. First, you've noticed uh, a couple of inserts that are in your order of worship. Um, There is a notice about the children and youth food drive. Uh, That's open to all to contribute. Be looking at this for the items that you can bring in place in the crates in the narthex. That benefits Buckhead Christian Ministry one of our ministry partners. And also it's that time of year where we're signing up for ministry teams and nominations for the diaconate finance and personnel. There's a sheet to fill out here for those nominations. There is a table out in the narthex for you to sign up. For our ministry teams, all in the Northside Drive Baptist community are welcome to participate. Have any questions? Come and see myself or Sid Janny, who is the chair of the nominating committee, about that. Also, Brian Knight uh, told me this morning that the audio team is, has an active and immediate need for uh, additional volunteers. So if you feel the Holy Spirit moving you in an audio direction, please move in that direction. We need you. This week, there are a couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, Phoenix Flies, which is uh, sponsored by the Atlanta Preservation Center, and is an organization that our Janny has tirelessly advocated for our church to be included on that tour, will be coming to the church this Tuesday at 11. And Jordan Clark will be leading those who are here in a tour of our stained glass windows. So if you haven't come, it's, it's a real treat. Come Tuesday at 11 for that. And our Lenten discipline each week is on Thursday at 645. There will be a Lenten evening service. Our theme is Characters Around the Cross. And this Thursday, Pastor James will be uh, giving the homily. And there will be a time of silence and reflection as well. We have several to pray for in our congregation. I want to mention first Allison Rowland and her family. Allison's grandmother, Hazel Rowland, died last Thursday, and that's Allison's last surviving grandparent. We know the the unique pain that that brings Allison. So know that we have prayed for you, and we will pray for you and your family as you prepare for the funeral that's coming up on Wednesday. We love you. We want to continue praying for Barney Moore, for the Prince family, and for Bill and Stephanie Jones, Who continue, we just got word, to have struggles and trials with Bill's continued cancer treatment, so be praying for them. I want to celebrate James Lampkin. It is his 22nd anniversary today, 22 years ago, that James Lampkin was called to Northside Drive Baptist Church. Let's celebrate James. We have celebrations, and we have tears, and that's life in church together. Jesus carved out space for lament, and we have carved out space for lament in the service. That's the offertory hymn you're about to hear. Let's continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings and hear this wonderful music.
1: Oh, loving God, our hearts beat to the percussion of sacred harp music that somehow carry our griefs and our sorrows through prayer to you. Hear our breaking hearts, but also our broken open hearts. Broken open to, to praise and give gratitude for these gifts and others for the gift of Corey joining in our church. It is a good day to be together. And so, may we be strengthened as we go and love as we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Now hear this benediction. And now to the one who by the power at work among us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we could ever ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.